Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So, Katina, I would love to hear a little bit about the article you have prepared for us. Yes. So, today we're going to be talking about the different work family strategies that specifically dual earner couples that have young children used during COVID uh, when their child no longer had uh, daycare or the ability to go into school. Um, so when their child was remote and they were remote or partially remote, um, how did couples split the childcare and how did that impact their health outcomes? And um, the results are kind of interesting because it has some implications for how people might want to try to split childcare even beyond COVID. That's so interesting. I really think that the implications piece is going to be important. I'm hoping I'm starting to see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, assuming yes. the variants don't like take over and destroy any progress we've made. Yeah. Uh, but True. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. So I, and I hope that we can take these types of articles like the one you're about to share and apply what we've learned into our day-to-day life and not just go back to normal. Like, I think that's huge. That's something I've been thinking about yeah. a lot, not just like in the workplace, like obviously, you know, being more flexible, providing remote work opportunities, things like that have been very important during this and hopefully will continue. But also I was just thinking about like our environment and the days when there, nobody was driving and how clean the air was and all that yes, fun stuff. True. That is very, very true. Um, that there could be some learnings beyond uh, this time period that we might want to apply. Like, you know, something that was really awful was that we were stuck inside, but something that was really great was that the effects on the environment were really positive. So maybe we can think about ways to be more green moving forward, or it was really difficult adjusting to, you know, everybody being remote or people being much more remote than they were before. And when we go back to the way things were, if people are going back to the way things were, maybe thinking about, well, what did we learn from what we did that we might still be able to apply that will help us to better manage uh, moving forward. So I think that you're right. Like there's some, there are some things that came out of this that are learnings, positive learnings. And um, it's important not to just like forget those and go back to the exact way things were, because I think we have, we have taken away some things from this period of time. Yeah. I, well, I'm not going to go on to a long tangent about that because I do think it's really important and I'm excited to hear about your article and why we need to be thinking about the way we split childcare. And I think that's a topic that was important before COVID and hopefully this study can help influence what we do now while we're still dealing with it. And then as we move forward, but before we dive into that, I just want to quick check in. How are you doing? I'm doing lovely. Um, as I mentioned uh, to you earlier, I am getting my vaccine on Wednesday, the first dose of my vaccine on Wednesday. Yay. And I know you're going to be done tomorrow. Yes. So the worker bees are almost COVID resistant. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't that's wait. super nice. I know. I'm really excited to just like, you know, obviously it's a weight lifted to know at least you know, you and, uh, you know, my mom has it now and, um, hopefully my dad will be able to get it soon. And so like, you know, our family is slowly starting to get it and it would be really nice if everyone in my like extended family was able to get it by like the summer 
and we could all get together for like 4th of July. Like that would be nice, you know, mm-hmm. um, like because my family's big. So when we get together with my extended family, it's like 20 something people. So we haven't been able to do that in obviously like over a year. Um, so that will be really nice. Hopefully that's a possibility in the nearer future. I hope so. I hope you get there. We are really lucky because we're actually going to be getting together for Easter, which is very soon because I'll be done. My parents are completely done. Danny is going to be done with by the same time as me. Uh, my aunt and uncle my uh, that live in San Diego, they're completely done. My sister has her first dose. My cousin has her first dose. Uh, my other aunt already had COVID uh, and she may... Hopefully she gets her first dose soon, but she's already kind of in an antibody state, if you will. Uh, So a lot of us are already um, there or close to being there. So we're actually doing like a little Easter get together. It's that's I mean, my family is not as large as yours. (laughs) You know, a lot of my family is not in the States. So right. uh, So it is smaller, but. Everybody that we haven't seen, that we didn't see at Christmas, and we didn't see at Thanksgiving, we're going to be able to see at Easter. So I'm so excited. Yeah, it's awesome. It is really exciting. And I think the only people, so almost all of my aunts and uncles have it now. Um, And uh, it's just harder because my cousins, like my youngest cousin is uh, 21. So it'll be a bit before they get to like 21-year-olds with no pre-existing conditions. Um, (laughs) So... Um, so we'll see, but the hope is that everybody is ready to get together by the summertime. That's kind of the goal that we set in our minds. And if it's before that, that would be great too. But that was kind of the initial goal that we were like thinking is like, okay, if we're all done by July, that would be so nice. We can have like a big barbecue and get together. It'll be so fun. Um, so that's the goal. We will see, but I am very excited about getting started and, um, you know, so far so good with people that we know in terms of like side effects and things like that seems fairly mild. So I am feeling good about it. Yeah, I'll have to let you know uh, if I wake up Wednesday morning and I feel a little feverish or something. I'm a little yeah. bit I'm a little bit anxious about that. I mean, it's not a big deal. Like I can have a fever, a low grade right. fever for a day versus getting COVID. It's not right. a big deal. But right. Because I've been so isolated, I guess is the word, because I've just yeah. been really at home pretty much 100% of the time over the past year, I haven't been sick, right? I yeah. haven't, like, not only have Me I not either. had COVID, but I haven't had a cold. I haven't had anything. And so I feel like having even just like a mild symptom is going to feel really awful because I just haven't yeah. had them. I know. I was thinking that too, because I also haven't had a cold in over a year. And like, it's just odd. Like that's never happened to me. It is funny though. I think we've talked about this before, but it's just like one of those things where like when we used to travel all the time, you'd just be like, oh, and you travel, you just get sick. Like that's it. And now I'm kind of like, well, we could do something about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't right? have to get sick when we get on planes a lot. Like that's an interesting learning, speaking of learnings, but um. But yeah, I do think, I do think it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the side effects as well, because my mom was saying a lot of people, you also just think about it more. So like the second dose, like people are like, 
you know, I think I had some headaches, but also like maybe I usually have a little bit of a headache, but like I was just thinking about, you know, like, cause then you're like thinking like, is this a side effect? Is this a side effect? And like, so it, fever, obviously, you know, if it's a side effect, but like, right. Sometimes just your normal state, you can feel like kind of weird. And then like, but you don't think about it. And then when you're trying to figure out if you're having side effects, you're like thinking about every single thing as like, I'm tired. Am I fatigued? I don't know. Maybe this is fatigue. You know, it's like, you don't know. <laughs> so that's totally. kind of interesting too. Totally. I even did that with the first one. Like the only thing I can really say that happened is that when I would lift my arm up in the air, it would feel heavy. It wouldn't like hurt. It would just feel kind of, it's like I noticed it. Right. It's like, do you, I don't know how to explain it better than that. It's like I lift my other arm up and you don't like feel it the same way. Right. Um, so that was the one thing. But then a few days later, I was like, man, you know, I've been tired the past couple of days. And I don't know why. I don't know what I'm doing differently. And what, granted, I am now in the beginning of week four of a new job. So it could have been that. Yeah, I think that might be. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Related. <laughs> probably. But there was a moment where I was like, it could be that. But it could have also been the, the vaccine. Right. And I just didn't even think about it until later. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you just like don't really know. And that's what. I mean, whenever I think about like just even during this whole time period, if you think you have COVID, for example, if you're like, oh, my God, maybe I like every like little like I'm like my nose usually isn't stuffy. But, like obviously <laughs> sometimes it is because throughout this period of time of a year, like maybe I would have a stuffy nose for like a day and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm getting COVID. And then like it would just go away and I'd be like, oh, OK, like I guess sometimes I just have a stuffy nose, but like I don't pay attention to it like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is really funny. Oh, good old placebo effect too because as soon as you think you have it you like start convincing yourself and then it's all of a sudden it's like well but now I'm having I'm achy too and now I've got right. this and now I've got that and you're just like no you don't you're fine no my body <laughs> just fails me on a regular basis and I pay no attention to it <laughs> oh my gosh it's totally true. well tell us about COVID and families and child care and all that good stuff yes okay so basically what this paper looks at is it it was an interesting time period to study work and family because everything got disrupted right so when things get disrupted people change their routines around to adjust and adapt to the disruption and so the idea of doing this study to look at how people sort of adapted to changes in um, their work was to take a look at how people adapted and what kind of profile they fell into in terms of how they split work and these are all heterosexual couples. So um, so they're looking at sort of more traditional gender dynamics. And they're looking at how these couples sort of started to split work during COVID from a childcare perspective and whether or not that had an impact on their health um, uh, a period of time later. Um, and so the idea is that, you know, we know that people have things set up in a certain way, but this allowed them to... Um, look at a variety of profiles that people don't generally engage in because uh, they may have things set up in a more traditional way, but then they couldn't do it that way. Or, um, you know, they may try something newer or more innovative because they're in a unique situation where it may end up working during this period of time. And then moving forward, they might also like learn something new about, oh, this is actually a helpful reaction to what's going on around me. So it, it gave like a really cool way of looking at a variety of different ways to manage work in life that didn't really emerge in the literature before this time period. 
That's awesome. So it's something we can definitely take forward and use in the future beyond what we're doing now. And just because we've had an interesting time to find it, to find this stuff. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so basically, you know, they're really interested in looking at whether or not people preserve, um, more traditional, um, gendered patterns, which for folks who are listening, who don't know, um, in even now, um, in couples, uh, that are, you know, younger. And in this study, everyone in the study had a child who was age six or under and whose childcare was no longer available during this period. So whether that was that they were remote schooling or whether they were, um, just, you know, had to be home from daycare, whatever the case may be, um, their childcare arrangement was no longer available. But even in couples that are, you know, ostensibly these couples were pretty young and they have a young child at home. Um, even in couples that you would think, okay, you know, it's less maybe traditional. They grew up with less traditional gender norms. Still, even when both people in the couple are working, when it comes to childcare, women still tend to bear the brunt of childcare much more than men do. Um, and so one thought was, does this disrupt the way that people are arranging things because the child is literally now in the home with both parents and it becomes harder for the male in the relationship to create a boundary between work and life. Whereas previously it may have been easier for the woman to have set up her schedule to be able to respond to childcare demands. And they sort of had that worked out that way. But now it's like everybody's in the same house in the same boat. So does that change how and when people pitch in? So one thought is no. Um, maybe it doesn't change the way that people pitch in because the same ideologies are operating. So regardless of whether or not you're in the same space and these things are confronting you right in the face, it would still be that people would split things more traditionally. Um, but there's another opportunity um, where these situational demands might disrupt the norms uh, because, again, you literally can't keep separate spaces. You may have to make decisions together in a way of dealing with this crisis. And in making those decisions together, it may involve more of both partners making decisions about their work and their home lives. And so it may create an opportunity for like renegotiation of those boundaries in a way that might be more favorable or more, uh, more equitable um, for both partners involved. And then the last is that um, when people adapt to crisis situations, they're more likely to accept shifting patterns. So if people know they're in a crisis, they're more likely to be like, okay, things are not going to be the same as they always are. And they're more open to the idea of restructuring things. So it could be that people continue to cling to tradition in this instance, or it could be that this provides an opportunity where people are really going to renegotiate these boundaries and these new ways of doing things will emerge. So I don't want to do a big spoiler alert here, but I'm going to take a guess. Yes. Because we have a lot of data already that I'm assuming many listeners have probably seen that women are generally exiting the workforce at much higher rates during this pandemic. Some is from job loss, but some of it is voluntary and a lot of what we're seeing is that people are leaving because of childcare burden. So I'm going to guess that it hasn't 
had as big of an impact on changing and disrupting norms as maybe me and my dream world would like it to have. (laughs) Yes, I think that you are correct about that. Um, Indeed, a majority of couples continue to split things in a more gendered way. Um, Or uh, a large percentage of the sample did. But in the other portion of the sample that did decide to split things differently, we actually learned something interesting about what seems to be a more feasible strategy for splitting work and family um, from a health perspective. So uh, they looked at, so I'll just tell you a little bit about what they did. Yeah. So um, they asked people to respond to three open-ended questions to ask about their plan for dealing with um their work and childcare. So they asked, what is you and your spouse's plan for dealing with both of your work commitments during the upcoming period when your normal childcare is disrupted? Please be as detailed as possible. How will you have to adjust your work role during this time? And how will your spouse have to adjust his or her work role during this time? So they asked people those questions in March. And uh, it was in mid to late March, which was the week that aligned with when childcare had just shut down. So they actually captured it right at the period of time where people would have been making these plans. That's um, really cool. Yeah. I just like that. So good timing. That timing. Yeah. That timing is perfect. Yeah. It, something tells they, me they had thought to do that. Um, I was, I was going to say like, do you were, I feel like they must've had already been planning to do a different study. Maybe just change the questions and we're yeah. like, ah, scramble, scramble, because I don't know how you do that so quickly. Yeah. That's very possible. They also could have been thinking, um, at the very, very beginning of COVID, they could have been thinking, let's do something on work and family, and then thought, like, we'll administer the survey right now because this seems to be the most meaningful time as people are trying to figure this out. Um, and uh, the authors, oh, my gosh, wait, I never even said the name of this article. Oh, no, I forgot oh you God. didn't. Okay, okay. well, we're it's, back up. It's called, <laughs> it's called Work Family Strategies During COVID-19, Examining Gender Dynamics Among Dual Earner Couples with Young Children. And it's by Kristen Shockley, Melissa Clark, Hope Dodd, and Eden King. And it just, just, just came out in the Journal of Applied Psychology. So um, I know most of those people pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so the other thing that I can tell you is that I think for the most part, they were dealing with this themselves at this time. <laughs> so, Got it. Um, so I think it probably was top of mind for them too, that this would be a period of time where you would be having these discussions and conversations because um, I think most of them have young children. So anyway, that may also have something to do with it, that it was like not me search, but, you know, kind of. Yeah, um, I actually yes. think that's really interesting, too, because, well, it is interesting that it may have come from, you know, the situation they're dealing with. But the point you just made is interesting around how people are having these conversations because they have to. That's something I hadn't really thought about, like directly, like indirectly I did. But this is a really perfect time because you get everybody at the same time having discussions, yeah. right? Like when people are typically moving through their marriage or their relationship and they're about to have a baby, you know, there might be some conversation and things just kind of evolve over time. But when suddenly something changes and you have to discuss it, like that's a really interesting time period to see what happens. Yeah. And we rarely get an event that impacts everybody so broadly in a national context at once. Right. Um, Totally. So it really is a unique opportunity to look at these kinds of disruptions. Um, 
So, yes. Yeah, so they gather that in March. And then um, in the middle of May, they gathered time two, which was asking people about their family functioning. So they had them rate their family cohesion, their marital relationship, their sleep quantity, their psychological distress, and their self-rated job performance. Um, the last thing that they did was that they also asked them, hey, you know, we asked you about your plan for coping with this, you know, eight weeks ago or whatever. Um, here's what you said. So they had it piped the text that they put from the prior survey into the survey. Please tell us on a scale of one to ten how much you stuck with that plan. And anybody who put less than a six, they removed from the study. So they asked them about their plan, but then they verified that they stuck with that plan. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you have to make sure that they're doing it. I was, yes. I was curious. I was about to see if they were asking like what they did instead, but no. It just you needed to stick to the plan that you said initially. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then basically they looked at okay, now we can see whether or not the plan has something to do with these other health outcomes, or you know, obviously if you didn't stick with your plan, then it's due to something else, right? And who knows, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So they got rid of anybody who didn't stick to their plan because it wasn't possible for them to know, like, what was due to the plan and what wasn't. Yeah. Um, so basically they took those qualitative responses that um, everybody provided and they coded them to s- for themes um, regarding how people split their work. Um, and specifically they coded them whether or not the person was working remote. Uh, so if the wife and the husband were working remote, whether they had outside help, whether they did what's called a shift change, so whether they changed the uh, times that they were working, whether they changed the amount of hours that they were working, and whether they changed the way that they split their labor at home. Um, And then they entered those into, so they coded that with, made it numeric, and then they made profiles. So not to get too statistically complicated, but... They did what's called a latent class analysis, which I know you know well, Patricia, because you did that in your dissertation. Um, But basically, they were able to shake out profiles. Um, Basically, there are different patterns that emerge in how couples split their work and their home work, (laughs) their work work (laughs) and their homework. And, um, And they were able to group people according to those patterns to see whether or not what pattern you fall into actually has something to do with whether or not you end up healthier at the end. So I'll tell you what the patterns are. And then I can't we can wait. talk about. Yes. So the first one is that the wife is working remote and the husband is not working remote and the wife does everything. That was 22.2% of the sample. So the wife is home, the husband's not home, and the wife does everything. So there's some quotes like, I'm working remotely from home and also caring for my six-month-old and homeschooling my nine-year-old daughter. My husband works outside of the home. Or um, the husband says, I have to continue to go into work as it's deemed an essential business. So my spouse is currently conducting meetings with our son, playing in the background, and doing what work she can late at night or early in the morning when he's asleep. That so, sounds miserable. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, it sound that fun because basically the wife is still working, right? So yeah. she's just working from home. Um, so that's a profile where the person that goes, the husband's going into work, the wife's at home, and she's doing all the childcare. That was 22% of the sample. That's pretty big. That's a lot. I know. 
<laughs> I know. I was kind of depressed by that. Um, then 16.6% of a sample is egalitarian remote workers with planned what they're calling mini shifts. So both of them are working remotely. They don't have help from anyone else. And in the other instance, they didn't have help from anyone else either. And what they're doing is they're sort of taking shifts where they're working or doing home stuff. So we're planning to take two to three hour shifts as needed, triage and complete only essential projects as needed, and work after our children go to bed or on the weekends if necessary. Um, or we will do split shifts, four hours each, and probably take a lot of emergency sick or vacation time and or unpaid leave. So they're basically uh, splitting up their work and home by being like, this is when I'm working and you're going to take care of the kids during that time and then we're going to switch. I've seen people do this. This is the one that is pretty familiar to me because I have had coworkers that have done this where it's like, okay, they blocked their calendar that from 9 to 11 – they can't do any meetings because they're setting up the kid for school and getting food and doing whatever. And then they're on at 11 and then the the husband will go ahead and take care of lunch and do all that stuff until yep. they switch again. So I've seen that one a few times. Yeah. Yep. And so we're going to learn more about that. There's another one called egalitarian remote workers where they're both working remote with daily need-based alternation. So this is we take turns working while the other entertains the kids and vice versa. So they don't really have shift work, but they so they're not doing like you work from this time to this time and then I'm with the kids from this time to this time. They're just saying like based on our needs for that day, we're going to flex around who's watching them when. So, um, you know, if I have a really important meeting, you can take them. Um, if we both have a really important meeting, we'll figure it out. If neither of us do, maybe we, you know, do a coin toss, whatever. Um, so they're kind of alternating back and forth. Who's going to be watching after the kids during the work day. So on that note, do we know if like, we don't know if people actually split that evenly though, or if the wife would, or the female partner would, be the one that ends up doing more you know losing more of those coin tosses if you will yeah they didn't measure hours but the way they coded it was that both partners said that they alternate who's doing it based on meetings deadlines or child's needs and it seemed like they were not really basing it on anything other than who was busier at that time so it they're calling it egalitarian we don't know for sure what that looked like. That was 14.4% of the sample. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So it seems like now we're what we're over half the sample has been yes. represented. Yes. So two other categories that were each th around 13% of the sample. One was alternating working days. So my wife works Monday, Wednesday. I work Tuesday, Thursday. We split Friday. And in this one, they reduce their hours. So they cut back their working hours they're working a couple days a week each, alternating the days back and forth. And it was unclear here whether they were taking a pay cut or not, although they did control for salary in all their analyses. Um, but it does seem like in both instances, they were like pedal to the metal the days they were working. And then using the time that they had with their kids just to focus on that. So it was almost like a reduced work week kind of an idea, but it didn't seem like they were necessarily saying they were getting less done. It just seemed like they were being like extraordinarily focused on the days that they were working and then not as much 
at all on the other days. I'm really curious. So that's you said that was thirteen percent. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if that actually maintained past the time period of the study, right? Because yep. that's something that's doable maybe for the first couple months. But then let's say you're in a state where they actually stayed in pretty good lockdown most of this time for almost a year. I can't imagine that's sustainable long term. Yes. Um, and that's interesting that you say that because that is actually the one that ended up being like the best. Um, <laughs> but it also has something to do with the fact that they reduce hours, right? Which we could also talk about from a health perspective. Totally. Um, yeah. Reduced hours is a big impact there, but also, I don't know. It would be really interesting because I, I would love to see a follow-up study and see like, did you continue this for a whole year? And if that's the case, then amazing. That's great yes. that they were able to do that. Yes. True. So, and they don't know how long the people are able to do it for any longer because all they know is what they did from March to May. Right. Um, so we don't know the answer to that, but it is a very good question. Um, so the last couple or the last few, one was where neither of them are working remote and basically they have someone taking care of their kids full time. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, they're both going into the office and someone's at their house all day taking care of their kids. So it's more of a normal, like, quote, normal yep. time period almost. They're calling it outsourced is the <laughs> title of it. So <laughs> okay. so that's basically, uh, you know, they, they have no other choice because their child's at home and they can't be home, right? Um, so that's another model. The last two are where the wife is not working remote and the husband is working remote. That was in 10% of the sample. And in that one... They do alternating childcare schedules. Uh, so interestingly, in the one where the husband is going into the office and the wife is at home, the wife does everything. When it's reversed, it seems like in this 10% of couples, the wife is still doing a decent bit. Of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Doesn't surprise me, but okay. <laughs> yes. And then another one is called wife remote and husband pitches in on occasion. And that is basically the... Wife is, that was 9.6% of the sample, uh, sample quote, I work primarily from home remotely while he goes into the office, um, but he will uh, work from home on days that I have meetings that are extremely important so he can take care of the kids. So there was, the smallest group was, hey, every now and again, I'll throw you a little bone and <laughs> let you, uh, let you ha go to your important meeting. Uh, so, but that was only 9% of the sample. I I will say it's interesting, though, that the biggest percentage of the sample, if you roll it up, would be the ones that said they were going to be splitting it evenly. Yes. So that's kind of interesting because I anticipated it was going to be that majority of these different profiles of types of arrangements would be uh, really focused on the the woman doing most of the work, but it seems like there's actually a pretty good percentage of people that at least planned to be more egalitarian in their approach. And they claim to have done that over time, correct. at least the first two months. Yes, that's correct. Which is interesting. Yeah. I did not expect that. I, like I said, I really expected that that 22% would, I thought it was going to be wife remote and doing everything while husband goes in and both are at home and wife do, does everything for childcare too. Yeah. But that yeah. wasn't a group. 
No, exactly. So it does seem like people are doing some more interesting things. While about 37% of the sample use traditional gendered strategies, um, and then another portion of the sample used some sort of in-between strategies, there were three egalitarian strategies that emerged that comprised 44.5% of the sample. So that's actually not so bad, right? Um, for, you know, 45% of the sample picks something other than what would be very gendered or somewhere in between. Um, so what did they find? Okay, so basically they found significant differences in all outcomes, um, except nothing predicted how much sleep the husband got and how the husband saw his job performance playing out, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> that so, is interesting. Uh, that didn't impact anything, um, or that wasn't impacted by anything. For relationship outcomes, husbands and wives in the wife working remote doing the most group tended to fare among the best, whereas both husbands and wives in the wife remote and does it all group fared the worst. So say so, the first one again. Yes. So in the first one, husbands in the wife remote doing the most group tended to fare among the best, whereas both husbands and wives in the white room, wife remote and does it all group fared the worst. That actually, that sentence doesn't actually make sense to me right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, <laughs> <For> what? Relationship <laughs> outcomes. Um, so it looks like basically what they're saying is that wives do the worst in the wife remote and does it all group. Whereas that wasn't the case in the wife remote doing most group. Okay. So when the husband pitches in every once in a while. Exactly. It seems to help. It seems to help. Yeah. But when the wife does it all, it is obviously not a good thing. Exactly. And the remote mini shifts couples had higher relationship tension compared to other people. So that may be because they're like doing these like micro negotiations all day. So you think about like, I'm doing this mini shift. Um, so maybe I am, you know, supposed to be on, but maybe I'm not. We don't really know. And we're like trying to decide in the moment whose stuff is more important. It seems like that led to more relationship tension. Which kind of makes sense. So yeah, the idea I of like kind of figuring out on the fly doesn't seem to be the best. Overall, the highest health outcomes with regard to sleep and psychological distress for both husbands and wives was the alternating days group. The ones that didn't work full time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the reduced hours and uh, sort of segmenting seem to have the best health outcomes. That, that makes um, a lot of sense. Yes. So, um, so women, if you're in the remote does it all category, that is the worst scenario. If you're a woman, you're working and you're still doing it all. That's bad. Um, they found that that group, that group had the lowest everything, um, which is interesting. Um, so that was, uh, not positive for women. So if you care about the women in your life, don't make them do that. Um, but men in those couples also had some negative outcomes as well. So it's not just um, they they had uh, lower family cohesion and uh, fairly high relationship tension. So it's not that men in those situations get away scot-free either. And they, side, they kind of say that that's because they think that their wives are mad. 
<laughs> shocking. Um, <laughs> their wives are mad that they're yes. doing it all. Yeah. Exactly. That, <laughs> not surprising exactly. at all. Uh, I'm just trying to think through it. Like, I mean, it makes sense there would be some tension there. It makes sense that would be the worst condition. And to me, this feels like, and of course, we don't have the data to back this up, so don't quote me, but... Given that we've seen over the length of the pandemic, women are dropping out of the workforce at a higher rate, feels like this is probably the group that is because Mm -hmm. they're already at home. They don't really have any support. So I if yeah, I can imagine that that group is the one that, you know, after these two months after May, they keep getting worse and worse and eventually just can't maintain their jobs, too. Yes, exactly. So basically, that is the worst outcome. When the husband pitches in sometimes, it makes things a little bit better. So at least do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, of the remote mini shifts, the need-based alternating, and the alternating days, the best of all was the alternating days. So as we mentioned, they had the highest uh, means on all outcomes, uh, significantly better than uh, the mini shifts or the need-based alternating, although the need-based alternating did uh, slightly better than the remote mini shifts. Uh, So uh, sort of breaking things up into I work from this time to this time and then I watch the kids from this time to this time instead of kind of operating in accordance to what your day might be like on any given day didn't seem to fare as well. So it seemed to make more sense to try to tailor it. But in the process of tailoring it at all from a, from on a daily basis, like a shift work or a responsive strategy seemed to create more problems compared to uh, this day I work, this day I'm home schedule. And that makes a lot of sense. I just even think about, I mean, I don't have any kids, but I just think about housework. Like if Danny and I are both really busy and we know we have a couple of things that we have to get done you know then you're negotiating like well what time do you have this and what time do you have that and like no matter what like that's not many shifts because we don't have specific times that things have to happen but it's gets to that like needs-based one it's sometimes it's annoying because it's like well my thing is important too and I can't do that right now or he'll well really it's usually me saying that I don't have time and you have to do it (laughs) but let's be real I'll be honest um and sometimes I am not thinking about you know the because his work is more freelance so it's not as consistent so it I always assume he's more available and that's not always true regardless that's just a personal tangent I'm going on but point is that having that constant back and forth if there's some stuff that has to get done that we you know for whatever reason is urgent it's not that often but when it does happen that can yeah it can create tension because we're both stressed out about being busy at work and then we have this thing on top of it so if you're doing that every single day that can definitely be exhausting I can imagine that plus and then when you get to the mini shifts sorry but when you get to the mini shifts to your point if you're not tailoring your day to the needs and you might be put in a weird situation at work right if you only work from 9 to 11 every single day but you have weekly meetings that have been starting to be scheduled at 12 and you can't you know fluctuate on Thursday to do a 12 o'clock meeting then that could be stressful too so I get why those two would be bad yeah so it seems like it's like 
being rigid about what time of day you work and don't work can cause problems and being on the fly. It seems like a daily schedule where you have on off on off throughout the day doesn't work as well as a full day on a full day off is basically what they're saying that in those instances you're either maybe you're on a schedule that doesn't really make sense given the work that you're doing because your every day is kind of different and so following this like strict schedule doesn't really allow you to make the most of each day or like if you're trying to just respond according to the day then like each day you're kind of negotiating whose stuff is more important at what time (laughs) Um, yeah (laughs) and so that causes some problems too but if you're if you know you're home one day and off one day that you know helps um so anyway I think that it's I think that it's interesting to think through because this was also the group that reduced their work hours so they can't really tell what it is that's helping the health whether it's the reduced work hours or just the separation of work and family and the clarity of like what realm you're in. But they do suggest that these folks seem to think that their performance was pretty good during this period of time. Now that doesn't mean that they necessarily think they're performing the same. Um, But it does suggest that they're not thinking that they're really falling behind here. Um, and they're asking them, you know, did you meet the, the performance metric that they're using is both a regular one, like how well do you think you're performing? But also they asked what percentage of your work responsibilities do you feel you met this week from zero to 100%. So they don't have a way of knowing whether their work responsibilities, whether what's expected of them has been lessened since they reduced their work hours. So they feel like they're getting down 100% of whatever percentage they used to do. But they do suggest that in combination with research on reduced work weeks actually allowing people to get done similar amounts of work and just waste less time that Mm -hmm. it could be possible that when people really know like okay this is when I'm on for work and this is when I'm off for work that they're putting as much time and energy and focus into it when they're there because they know that the next day they're going to have the opportunity to be home so they do suggest that that's an area for further research um, because it may be the case that from a policy perspective and they talk about this that policy can help people to understand how much we might be able to actually create this alternating day strategy for people on a regular basis without sacrificing performance. So is there a way to actually reduce a work week to four days or three days for people and have them like really get it done on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, be home Tuesday, Thursday, and people could actually set up this alternating schedule to fit their needs more clearly. I mean, we've done a lot of, Well, we've written and talked about reduced work week, and I think there's an argument to be made that that is probably what's helping a lot of the situation here. And I agree. I think it'd be interesting to do more research to find out, is it the reduced work week? Is it a combination of both, right? Having your partner also participate equally in your childcare work uh, and being able to focus fully when it is your day to work. I think it's, yeah, it's really interesting, but I, I can imagine that in some cases people are performing at the some, same level, right? There's no reason to, there's nothing in the research to show that they wouldn't be. And maybe the days that they're on, they are working longer hours. Like that's completely possible, but because they have that recovery after it with a day off, um, which I know has childcare, so it's not full recovery, but there's some recovery and you're able to not overwhelm yourself with a million responsibilities in one moment that can, I can see that really, really benefiting 
both parties and then obviously the child too because the child doesn't have distracted parents either i know they didn't study that but i have a feeling that's helpful if their child care is more focused on the child when that's happening yeah so it seems like that's what helps from a health perspective and a performance perspective generally the takeaways that they kind of close with are that you know this crisis situation created a really rare opportunity to look at how people might negotiate or renegotiate home and uh, work in heterosexual couples. Unfortunately, they found that a large percentage of the sample continued these gendered patterns of childcare, and the data do suggest that the burden of childcare responsibilities do disproportionately fall on mothers. There were not categories where that we saw for the mother doing way less. (laughs) Um, So that's not something that we found. Um, But when the parents did engage in these more egalitarian strategies for managing their childcare, they were able to, you know, create a new way of doing things that maybe in the long term would have some benefits, particularly when they're able to alternate their work days. And it seems like there are ways to protect performance and well-being for both people in the couple that are better than the more gendered ways of doing things that we might learn from and preserve moving forward if we can. Yeah, I love that. I really think we need to take that learning and apply it. So I think, well, not only can organizations think about the policies they have in place and the types of flexibility and structure they can provide, but then couples that are listening should also think about, well, couples with small children, but also it could apply to housework and different things probably too. Um, but couples really can take this and think about how they can apply it and make sure that they're doing this splitting work in the most egalitarian way that they can. So hopefully if you are stuck in a system for in your household that doesn't make as much sense, you can take this and, and reopen that conversation and try to readjust to what's going to be better for everybody in the long run. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's perfectly aligned with what they are suggesting here. So hopefully this is helpful for everyone to think or rethink the way that they're splitting things up and whether or not that is a way that will have positive health benefits for everyone. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. I enjoyed the article. I think it's really interesting and new and fresh. (laughs) Thank you for listening to my new and fresh article. (laughs) Yes. Well, you're welcome. Of course, we'll always listen and hopefully everyone else will too. (laughs) Uh, If you liked what you heard today, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend that maybe can learn from it as well, and leave us a review online. It really helps our podcast to be seen by others and we would really appreciate it. Uh, We also want you to reach out to us. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, please let us know. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. You can also find us on social media at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, wanted to remind you that we have some courses available online. If you're interested in learning how to manage your stress, for example, that course is completely free to you. So we'll have a link in our show notes if you're interested in taking it. And we hope to hear from all of you soon. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.